Hey there, welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. And today we're gonna talk to Sarah Sanchez. It's great to have you here. It's about dang time, Sarah. Nick, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. We've been talking about it for a while, and I just saw you at First Pitch Arizona, and this is gonna be like the most fun hour of my week. This is oh, that's that's awfully touching. I uh, and I, I'm excited for everybody because I feel um I don't know. I feel like it's going to be just a fun hour of whatever. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. And that's the beauty of this podcast. We just get to learn more about Sarah Sanchez. So just first and foremost, give everybody the very quick, which isn't quick. It's very long resume. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. Well, I currently cover the Cub, <laughs> Cubs at bleedcubbyblue.com, which is the SB Nation Cubs site. I also uh, do some work at Baseball HQ for their Playing Time Tomorrow column for the NL East. And I previously done some work at Fangraphs, at Baseball Prospectus, and at Sportstopia. Yeah, so this is this is why it's uh, it's so awesome to just hang out with Sarah. First pitch, we're just like, oh yeah, cool. This is great. This is about dang time. I uh, you're in Chicago though. I've never been. And uh, well, does a layer ever count? It doesn't count. We all know it doesn't count. Nick. It does not. No, I know. It's <laughs> like it, yeah, this is this little overpriced. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what is it, Mart that they have? It's like Hudson News does not count for Chicago. Um, but you were saying that if I were to go, where would I have to go? Well, Wrigley Field is the first place well, that you yeah, have to go. Well, yeah, of course. So. <laughs> behind, the, behind the steel bar seat, always. Yeah, we're not going to get you a steel bar seat. We'll find something unobstructed, maybe in the bleachers, like maybe okay. in the in the lower yeah. bowl. But we'll, we'll, well find something good if, for you. If it's in the bleachers, it would be with Michael Sarami, right? So I usually sit in left field and Michael sits in right field and there's a left field, right field divide in Chicago that Uh is a real thing. Like in the late innings of a game at Wrigley Field, you are likely to hear left field sucks and right field sucks chance starting. (laughs) Um, It's a whole thing. So Michael and I rarely sit together at Cubs Uh games because I, every now and again, I'll go sit with the Bleacher Nation crew. But when did you choose your allegiance? Okay, so I was very, very small, small uh-huh. enough that I only have memories of the concept of this game. I had to watch it later as an adult to know what actually really happened in it. That it was the Ryan Sandberg game. I was watching Saturday oh, night baseball with my dad, or Saturday baseball, afternoon baseball, whatever it was with my dad. And I decided I was going to cheer for the team that had the dude who hit all the home runs because that <laughs> seems smart. Right. Uh, Ryan Sandberg was my favorite player as a kid. I was devoted to the Cubs. I would record every Cubs game in the afternoon um, so that when I came home from school, I could start watching the game and like, I'd watch it from the start. So I'd like miss the first two hours while I was at school, but then I'd get home and then I'd watch the whole thing start to finish. It was like this, I had like this one videotape that I just kept recording over and over. That's so cool. That's amazing. So that made you left field though, because is that where Sandberg was? So now Sandberg was at second base. Um, yeah, I was about to say, I was like, that's not right. I didn't get to actually see a Cubs game until like 20 years after I picked the Cubs as my favorite team. Mm-hmm. When my first job out of college, I wound up working for an education organization. And I my first business trip was to Chicago. And so I huh. tacked an extra day onto the beginning. And I was like, I am going to Wrigley Field. It was a very bad Cubs team at that time. It was like 2002, I think, uh, mm-hmm. maybe 2003. And I bought myself a ticket, like, on the third baseline. Um, Alfonseca waved his six-fingered hand at me, which was amazing. Oh, man. Uh, And I talked to all the Wrigley people. But I didn't get back to Wrigley Field after that 
for ages. I can't even, I went like one time on a trip, but I didn't move here until 2015. Gotcha. And so once I got here in 2015, I became friends with the Bleacher Bum Band and a bunch of people who sit in left field. My editor at Bleed mm-hmm. Cubby Blue, Al Yellen, is always in left field under the sign that is in the corner up okay. there. You can like spot him if you know where to look. Uh, uh-huh. Bleacher Jeff, who plays bass guitar for the Bleacher Bum Band, is always in the well. Like if you watch a Cubs game and you see the guy with the crazy hair banging on the <laughs> sign there, that's Bleacher Jeff. Okay. Uh, and all of my friends sit in that little corner I see. there, yeah. and that's where I sit in the them? bleachers. Right. That makes sense. By the way, uh, I have not heard Sarah uh, Sanchez's disrespect to me the second I suggested that Ryan Sandberg was a left fielder. The way <laughs> the way it was like, second base, Nick. Uh-oh. Uh, you've gone down a peg now in my house. I know. I was just trying to move along <laughs> with the story. Uh, but okay, so that makes sense. Like Michael Sarami's in the, in right field. I'm sure he has a fantastic story to that and, and Bleacher Nation there. But uh, to take us back to where we were, you were saying after Wrigley Field, there's a place I need to go in Chicago. Yes. So one of the great things about Wrigley, it's built in a neighborhood. That neighborhood is old and it has tons of great places in it. And the place where all the real ones go is Nisei Lounge, which is... Mm-hmm. The diviest of dive bars up Sheffield, not okay. Clark. Clark is like all the bars everybody goes to. Yeah. Sheffield has like the real hidden gems. Uh, and Nisei Lounge is there. Great beer, questionable wine. <laughs> Don't order a drink with more than three ingredients. Yeah. Someone's going to try to buy you a shot of Malort and you should say no. There you go. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, that's Shohei's dog. Um, is that real? That can't be real. Yes. I, well, okay. I, I Googled, I Googled it and <laughs> there was a twist. This is what happened. I was like, what is the name of Shohei Otani's dog? And I, I just put it into Google and the very first thing says Shohei Otani's dog is Melora. And that's just what it is. I was like, okay, that's enough for me. And I tweeted it out and I didn't really think about it. And so I said, is that really the name? I was like, oh wait, I didn't do much research on this. I just quickly Google searched it and that's what it said. But then there was another article that, that gave that name too. So that's all I got. And we're just going to go with this. Okay. And people can just say like, oh, Nick is just making a joke. That's nice. I don't, you know, whatever. But also that decision should happen. He really should like uh, do a whole broadcast for an hour. And so then the dog two- just picks like Amsterdam's national team or something for, for where he's <laughs> well, going to sign. Yeah, there's two things here. So one. If his dog is truly named Malort, like that is that is fate, and he should definitely come to Chicago. That'll be an instant. Sure. That, that's like go. an instant Shohei Otani moment. Yeah. However, I'm old enough to remember when Bryce Harper named his dog Wrigley, and we all thought that uh, was a sign. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were all these rumors that when Bryce Harper hit free agency, they were going to like reunite Bryce Harper and Chris Bryant, and it was like going to be a thing, and the Cubs sure. legacy was going to go on forever. And then they decided to stop paying money for players. So <laughs> that was sad. I'm so sorry. Hey, you got 2016, okay? You know, you you got that one. Um, but also, by the way, the questionable wine. I mean, come on, you're saying this is like the diviest of bars. Who gets wine at a dive bar, right? Is that well, do people do that? I have because they have these little cans of rosé that are not terrible. Okay, if it's in really a can, a then drinker. it's like okay, then you know what you're getting, right? It's kind of like you go to a diner. You're never supposed to get anything that's frozen. Get anything Correct. that they actually need to make on the grill, right? That's the rule. So, like a dive bar, okay. If you don't trust the pipes, or get get a bottle or a can, so that's fine. I'm okay with canned wine. That's what I always say. 
Um, <laughs> I'm, but, I'm uh, not generally, but I drink it at Nisei <laughs> sometimes. Um, but what else does this place have? Ambiance. Uh-huh. And? A devotion to day baseball. Sure, of course. They've had the same Christmas decorations up for five years, and they don't <laughs> take them down at any point in time, so they're just kind of up all season long. Is it like Santa singing over and over again? And it's no, just, so it's oh like God, the whole roof is like Christmas lights and stuff. So, <laughs> no. And there's a funny story behind this. So when the Ricketts took over Wrigleyville and like built their hotel and like built... Right now, Wrigley Field is an amusement park. It's called okay. Winterland, and it's got like rides and stuff, and they charge you an exorbitant amount of money to ride a train around the infield, but you're trying to trade around the infield in Wrigley Field. So that's kind of cool. Um, all of the bars up Clark decided that they were going to brand themselves as like Christmas bars in order to like counteract the Ricketsville Christmas machine that is the Chris Kindle market in Winterland. And Nisei Lounge decided to participate too. But as far mm-hmm. as I can tell, they just never took down the decorations because that would be hard and putting them up again would also be hard. So there's just like the whole ceiling is Christmas lights. And there's a Lee Elliott Day sign and something about day baseball and more Malort than you've ever seen in your life. And really great people, honestly. It's one of my favorite places to hang. Yeah. And okay. so first and foremost, I've never heard of this place before. before, And I'm just going to assume that it's spelled N-I-C-E and it's just nice lounge. N-I-S-E-I. Oh, okay. So it's not like it's not like nice lounge, but everyone calls it Nisei or something like that. Okay. I uh, I think that would be hilarious to do something like that um, now for it for a bar or anything like that. Um, but they also have one other thing that we were talking about before the podcast started. I they have remember. karaoke, Sarah. Oh, on occasion, yeah, the Bleacher okay. Bum Band and other people will come in and do karaoke there. And I have done karaoke at Nisei Lounge. And what was the song that you sung at Nisei Lounge? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this is not one of my standards. I only do this on rare occasions. Uh huh. <laughs> It was Madonna's Like a Prayer. Oh, that's cool. You know, my uh, I think my dad worked on that one. No um, way. Well, okay. Which, which album was that? Was that on Like a Virgin? Uh, no, record? it was later. No. It was like. It was later. Okay. So my dad was a um, my dad was a recording engineer for about like 30 years, believe it or not. Uh, he still kind of does every so often. Like he does mixes for people and stuff. But he was an assistant engineer on Madonna. Um, and this is the, this is a true story, everyone. I like, I'm not making this up. He, you know, he was just kind of a low end engineer at the time doing like a virgin and he's, he works for like the entire day, like a 12 hours straight, like, oh my God. And he finally, finally gets to run to the bathroom for a second. They take a quick break and literally he's in there. He just gets in there and Madonna starts pounding on the door. Time is money and the money is mine. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's, so that's wild you know, about your dad. Yeah, I know. He got he got uh, accosted verbally <laughs> by Madonna. <laughs> Tried to Madonna, make a hit record for her. Madonna sounds like a woman who knows what she wants and she also sounds a little oh scary. Oh my God. Like, how is that in your, like, ammunition, you know, or your utility belt to whip that one out? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, but Like a Prayer is a great call. Did you do any of the, um, you know, like, uh, like... Did you dance along to it? Did you give the? I, I didn't the do the thing? full effects. No, okay. It is in my range, and it's a it's a pretty fun karaoke song that people get into. It's not my standard. It's like, but it's one that I will do on occasion when Sarah, the mood hits me. Sarah, uh, I know this sounds very on brand and can't be true, but it is true, and I'm incredibly embarrassed now. Uh, I, I'll tell you something about me really quickly. 
When it comes to music, I don't care for lyrics. I don't really internalize them. I don't listen to them. I, I know of the words. It's kind of like a foreign language almost because I'm not really caring about the, the poetry of it. I'm all about the melody and what the, the vocal lines are doing and how it's presented. I just kind of listened in, in my head to what the lyrics are for Like a Prayer. And I actually understand it now. Um, that has nothing to do with religion. And the suggestion that you are acting this out. I am so sorry. I I apologize. Oh my gosh, Madonna. <laughs> yeah, it would have been awkward if I had acted it out. Uh, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> I will take you there. Jesus, Madonna. <laughs> yeah, this is hi. This is me. This is uh <laughs> I don't listen to lyrics like slowly and steadily. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's mainly just think about this first thing. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, well, I won't perform that one. I'll do Whole New World. You know, there's something sweet <laughs> about like whispering. Don't you dare close your eyes. Like that is so nice. Hold your breath. It gets better. Like that. There's a joy to that, you know, that um, and I'll mix in some toxic Britney Spears. Why not? And then if I'm really feeling my voice that day. I'll give it a good uh, wanted dead or alive. Like it's 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 tough. I don't I don't really truly know what my range is because it's terrible. I uh, so I think that's in it. I don't know. But we'll we'll go to Nisei Lounge. We'll do some karaoke, especially make sure it's karaoke night. I uh, when I make it to Chicago at some point in my life, which I know I will. I don't know. Something will take me there. <sighs> <laughs> oh I mean- man. The standbys, the like normal songs that I do when I'm not feeling particularly edgy and or, you know, hanging out with my drunken bleacher friends and just, uh-huh. you know, letting it go um, are Lisa Loeb's Stay. Oh, oh, yeah. And uh, Taylor Swift, uh, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. But that that requires like a certain amount of angst in yeah, my life. Yeah, you need an energy. You need a crowd working with you on that one. There needs to be intensity. You can't William Shatner that one, you know. That you can't just like spoken word it, subtle, quiet. No, 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 no. You got to go in hard if you're going for for Tay Tay there. Um, yeah, I said that. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> so okay, that as- that aside, I uh, or you're from Chicago, I assume. No, you were I'm saying not. that you weren't right. You moved there eventually, but you saw Ryan Sandberg. Where was that? So I grew up in rural Utah. About okay. two hours southeast of Salt Lake City, Utah, in a, t- in a tiny town called Price. Okay, that is a coal mining community. Oh wow! Yeah, and so when I was growing up, there were no baseball teams to watch in that general vicinity. Like, the well, you were in a coal team. mine. It was it's hard to get reception. <laughs> I am literally a coal miner's daughter. Uh, my dad worked in the mines for most of my childhood he became a mine safety guy eventually and now he works for the government and teaches people how to do mine safety that's incredible that's fantastic yeah and truly like one of my favorite things that ever happened was my dad getting out of the mines because that is some scary business yeah Um, it really is it's absolutely and it's kind of nice to like say hey let's try to make it so that we don't need to do that ever again that would be good for sure 100 percent um i my little hometown had tragedies that were like real tragedies that uh, we don't need to get into right here yeah we'll just break oh, i'm down so the mood. sorry but um no it's fine uh it's not fine but it, it is what it is and that's kind of where i grew up but the thing that was always joyous and wonderful about that place it was really a baseball community so mm-hmm. for a town of like eight thousand people 
there were multiple competitive little leagues. There were like wow. Price Central and Price National and Price, you know, they had like all the divisions and Helper had their own division and Wellington and had their own division. And Price Harper. <laughs> Price Harper. Uh, and my dad was one of the coaches of the Little League. And I just kind of grew up in a neighborhood of boys where we played baseball all the time. And so I had mm-hmm. no, like, I don't remember a time without baseball. One of my earliest memories, we were in my little living room and my dad had a wiffle ball set. And he had like pointed out where the bases were to me and my brother. And like first base was the love seat and second base was the couch and third base was the corner of the fireplace, which is probably a terrible idea with little children. And when you think about it, but honestly, like we all thought it was a cool idea. And we played baseball with a wiffle ball and bat uh, in Mm -hmm. that living room until we were about five when my Mm -hmm. mom was like, yeah, y'all have to take that game outside. This is not not okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Who slipped into the fireplace first? Oh, definitely my brother. Yeah, okay. But he was fine. <laughs> oh, amazing. So so it was always in your life. And I... Uh, um, so this is actually like, this was a working fireplace, right? Oh, it's a fi- not only a working fireplace. My dad like the laid the fireplace. brick yeah. for the iron, cast iron fireplace yeah. that he installed himself. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I grew up in a brownstone in, in Brooklyn, right? And we had, I'm doing air quotes here, two fireplaces that were so obviously like not allowed to be used and didn't work. And yet, I don't know if you, did you celebrate Christmas, Sarah, when you're growing up? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I did too. And I, uh, we believed Santa was somehow going to appear in this thing. <laughs> right. Um, do you actually remember when you learned there was no Santa? I'm so sorry for any kids listening right now. I uh, it's actually well for us it's different for you kids like you know Santa is still real you know when you get uh, older you, your relationship with him changes okay God that's a great question I don't remember the exact moment but I do remember that the fact that the fireplace chimney that we had was like this yeah. big around and it it was really like, small yeah, yeah it was super small it's like barely bigger than like both of my adult hands thing, together you know? and it was just kind of like this thing that went up that was a that was a big red flag for me because it, it kind of <laughs> felt like Santa couldn't possibly fit. Everything else chimney. was fine. Visiting every single kid in the middle of the night is totally a okay, but I uh, but going down this pipe, I don't know, not not going to work I'm, for you. I'm Catholic. I believe in miracles, so like that that seemed, right. that seemed possible. But like the, okay. the actual width of the chimney itself seemed like a problem. Sure. I was also. Very concerned about all the kids who didn't have fireplaces. I was like, how are they? Oh, yeah, that's very conscientious of you. That's very sweet. Um, Oh, man, my sister and I were obsessed with meeting Santa Claus. Like, I mean, this guy, look, who we're just going to accept this thing exists and I'm not allowed to meet him. Are you kidding? He visits once a year like this is our opportunity. And I remember we uh, we actually we wrote down like, what's your address so we can go there? And then my dad wrote the North Pole silly and we needed to wait another year to <laughs> interact with him. Right. So we had a plan. We had we, we devised a plan. I'm like four years old. She's six. And I uh, we decided we got one of those like ink, um, you know, those are spy kits thing with the ink. Uh, you put your thumbprints in and everything. Right. So we say, hey, Santa, put your thumbprint in. We're going to go down to the police station and get the information, okay, from your thumbprint, right? <laughs> this was a great plan. So we were at the top of our stairs. We're so excited to go down, and we're more excited about the thumbprint than we are the gifts. 
and we go down and it's completely blank. My parents forgot, right? So my mom is uh, is saying, oh, you know, wash your hands. You guys didn't wash your hands or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Go to your, fine. You're like, oh, fine. We go come back. And all of a sudden there's a thumbprint there. And we go, oh my gosh, Santa's so magical. And I, I look at my mom's thumb and I see <laughs> ink on it. And the thing is, I was four. So what oh. I thought was, oh my gosh, of all moms, my mom is Santa Claus. <laughs> and then my sister put it together. Um, and I was like, oh, never mind then, I guess. Uh, How old but it was your a good sister? it was a good plan. She was like two years older than me. Um, so I think she, she still didn't quite know either. Um, and uh, she claims to this day that she always knew. But, you know, okay. it's all right, sis. You didn't. It's a, it's fine. You were six. <laughs> yeah, I definitely if you knew. Yeah, I definitely didn't always know. But I think it was probably seven, eight, nine ish, somewhere mm. around there where I was like, OK, the gig is up. It was also yeah. like we would go get pictures taken with Santa Claus and it was always a different Santa Claus. And that seemed really suspect. <laughs> oh, yeah. That reminds me of like a birthday party where it was the Pink Ranger and everyone was obsessed with the Pink Ranger. But then I saw like the hairy arms or something like I <laughs> like I saw that it was like essentially a dude underneath. And I do not understand what was going on. I was very I was I just didn't get it as a kid. I was like, this is this is not Kimberly. This is not Kimberly, you know, um, and uh, that kind of. You messed up Power Rangers for me after that. Oh, man. The the future I could have had. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but Sarah, so so here you are. You're in uh, Price, Utah. Um, and as a kid, you're playing a lot of baseball. Uh, you went to in high school, going off to college, I assume. Uh, what were you thinking you were going to be when you grew up? So when I was little, I truly, this is my parents would attest 100% true. I wanted to be Harry Carey. Like, obviously, oh, like, yes. a female version of Harry Carey. But, like, the I voice, wanted though. to just... What was that? With the voice. Oh, Same I just voice. wanted to spend all of my time talking about the Cubs and being yeah. so enthusiastic about it. And, you know, I um, got to call a few of my brother's baseball games over the years, and I kept the scorebook and did all the stats for their team. I even did, uh, my first byline was actually when I was 13 years old, I wrote about their all-star team going to the Western Regional Little League, whatever thing. That's awesome. Yeah. And I remember begging my mom to write about this because I was mad that the newspaper wasn't covering it. And she had been a copy editor at the, our little paper was called The Sun Advocate. And Mm -hmm. so she went to the editor there and she said, look, my daughter really wants to write about these games. If it's terrible, you don't have to run it. But if it's not terrible just let her do it. And so he did. And I covered my brother's baseball teams for a few years. And then I also made sure to cover my own debate team because we had won the state tournament like seven years in a row. And I thought it was travesty that we weren't being covered either. (laughs) Right. How old were you at this time? This was like junior high and high school. Amazing. Um, But I got, I fell super in love with debate in high school Mm -hmm. uh, and got into politics. And um, when I went to college, I went to the university of Utah and wound up really doing a ton of political work and kind of falling away from baseball stuff for a bit. My parents were actually stunned that I didn't get a comms degree and go try to go into sports casting. And honestly, I'm kind of stunned that I didn't do that either because that was that was a mistake by past me. But maybe not a full mistake, but like questionable. Well, you want to explore too. I mean, imagine a lot of your life you were so focused on one. You're like, you know what? Let me see other things that are out there too. I mean, I did that as well. I played baseball through college and then I thought I was going to play guitar forever and I worked at Guitar Center for a year. 
you know, yeah, totally. and I didn't really know what I was going to do. Then I fell back into this in 2014. So I you, totally understand. How do I not know that you play guitar? Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, it's, we, we talk about baseball at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's oh yeah, awesome. I thought I was I thought I was gonna do that forever. I was in a couple bands and everything. Um, but uh I mean I still do on the side. Like I have my my beater acoustic, I have my glorious Paul Reed Smith custom 24. I'm a giant prog metal guy. Um just I hate those like yelling and, and cookie monster vocals. It's like stupidest things ever. Um but uh but yeah, no, it's it's very much in my in my blood still. I'll put out a double album in like 10 years. You need Something to like do that. that. Um, so I, I also play the <laughs> piano, but not well oh, really? that I could have oh, yeah, cool. that I could have ever been in a band or anything. But my dad played the guitar. And one uh-huh. of my favorite childhood memories is actually we would go to the next door neighbor's house where they had a fire pit. Mm-hmm. And my dad and Mike uh, and my uh, our friends, Dave and one of my uncles, they would play their guitars and usually John Prine songs. I'm like a big John Prine person. But OK, um, yeah. So tons of musical love there as well. Uh, oh, anyway, so cool. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I want to hear more about uh, yeah, just kind of transition for you from from college to uh, to adult life. And we're going to talk about all about that after this break. All right, we're back with Sarah Sanchez, of course. And uh, Sarah, so tell us, we, you were political. What was it? Political science? Did I get that right? Um, in yeah. college, and at what point were you like, nah, this ain't for me? So I was working in politics. Um, gosh, trying to think of the years exactly. Like 2004, probably 2006 cycles, I was doing like data work. So I would take people's polling numbers and run them through algorithms and stuff and weight them and get the trend lines and everything. It's very, very riveting, riveting work. Um, (laughs) Truly, I'm kind of a quanti nerd. So I did enjoy that. I think that's great. I know lots of people wouldn't. Um, But I also got kind of roped into being an assistant coach at a local debate team. I ran into an old debate friend of mine and Mm -hmm. he asked me if I would come help the kids out sometimes. And I said, yes. And I quickly found myself using all of my vacation time to take debaters to tournaments. And I realized Mm -hmm. that the high school students I was working with were infinitely more engaging and fun than the politicians that we were working with. And so I started doing debate stuff. I applied for a full-time director of debate positions. I wound up getting one at Lexington High School in Massachusetts, which is just oh, outside great. of Boston. Yeah. yeah. Where where the Revolutionary War started, uh, the Lexington of Lexington and Concord. When were you thing. doing that? So like 2008 until about 2014. That's so funny. Yeah, I was at Waltham uh, at Brandeis. 2000. No way. I was I, I went to Brandeis January of 20, sorry, 2007 until... Uh, yeah, spring of 2010. Yeah, that's so. totally just down the street from where I was teaching yeah. debate and running their <laughs> national oh, hilarious. program. Yeah. Um, and in fact, one of the things I was thinking about uh, just the other day, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but just because I'm such a, I'm such a nerd. So um, my first foray into fantasy baseball after college was actually when I was coaching that debate team. Mm-hmm. The kiddos on the debate team wanted to start a fantasy baseball league. And so we like signed up for a Yahoo league or whatever. Sure. And like half of the guys in the class were in it. I was in it. A couple other teachers were in it. And it was like my first year teaching. And there was this day where I couldn't like the guys in the back were talking too much. And I realized they were talking about a fantasy baseball trade. And I also realized I had like one of two options. I could be like the mean teacher. I could be the fun teacher. And I was kind of like, all right, I can tell nothing's going to get done until we figure out this trade. So tell me what exactly is being offered for Nick Marcakis. (laughs) And 
I, I to this day, I have no idea what was being offered for, to, for Nick Marcakis, but the kids That's loved so it. They thought that was yeah. the greatest thing ever. That's hilarious. Man. Trades back then, I remember uh, Ben Pernick, who does the buy and sell with us, who was actually my junior year uh, in college roommate. Um, and I traded BJ Ryan for, oh gosh, was it Carlos Gonzalez? I think so. And okay. that was so good. I was so happy with that. I mean, that was like the same exact time, right? Like BJ Ryan. Oh, yeah. BJ Ryan. Maybe it was a Blue Jay BJ Ryan. I don't know. I don't know why he ever did that and why I would let him write for Pitcherless after that trade. But, you know, <laughs> I know he's phenomenal. He's won our league and everything. He's great. Um, actually Nick Marcake is a seriously underrated player. Oh, yeah. Just one of your Hall of Very Good for for the Orioles for years. Sparkakis, as a Rasball would say. Nice. Um, I absolutely love it. But uh, so there you were doing, uh, you know, debate and everything. You said until 2014, right? So I, I'm actually still in debate. My day job is as the director of programs and communications for the National Association for Urban Debate Leagues. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing, Sarah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Do you just like hold a gavel everywhere you go? No. <laughs> you should. You kind of I have should, a gavel, though. though, that I won in high school, and it's my favorite trophy I ever won. <laughs> You know, it's actually kind of funny. My um, uh, my grandmother passed away a year and a half ago, and she had a gavel in her apartment that I I have it in my room behind me. I mean, it looks like it's the Aaron Judge thing, but to me, it's like no, that's the that's just a classic gavel because my grandfather was uh, a big civil lawyer um, and everything. But you know, all for it. So when I was in high school, and I don't know if they still do this. I don't think they do at most tournaments. They would give you gavels as speaker awards. So if you were one oh, of the really? top 10 speakers, you got a gavel. And yeah, I, I won a couple of those. And so I have a gavel that it's not here. It's actually probably at my parents' house somewhere. But What was the best debate that you won? Like the, the best argument you ever made? When you when you finish, you're like, that is award-winning rhetoric. You know, what was the topic of it and what was your just solidified point that they could not step over? Ooh, best argument is hard. So debate is a logic game that can be a little tricky. Mm -hmm. And I was always a small, small school kid. And so what that means is we didn't have like armies of coaches who were helping us with evidence and those types of things. So the argument that I was really known for that I was really good at is something called topicality, which was basically Mm -hmm. a way to argue that the other team wasn't inside the resolution. And the reason that worked for us is because I was really good at pulling definitions and explaining what the topic should mean and why. And that meant that I didn't have to actually have all of the answers to the evidence that they had said. I could just exclude them from the topic and they would automatically lose. (laughs) Um, Yeah, right, right. so, So that was kind of my jam. But I had some moments that were really fun. Like we... My, my debate partner and I, Carol, we actually wound up living like 10 miles away from each other in Boston, which is weird that these two kids from like Rando, Utah, like yeah. both wound up in Boston. We had so much fun together. We would read like nerdy philosophers. We were reading like Rawls and Rorty when we were in high school. And we would take uh, Saturday trips up to the BYU Law Library because it was the closest place to get all of the evidence we needed. And then we'd like sit in my basement and like cut out little pieces of paper of evidence and like paste them onto other pieces <laughs> of paper. That's really cool. It was great. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, that makes sense. So, like, when you're talking about the Cubs or something, you say, okay, look, Justin Steele only allowed so many runs. I don't, I don't care why we're talking about how many strikeouts. I don't care about how many hits. He allowed this many runs, and that's what matters. Is, <laughs> well, that, is about, that kind of on the same idea? Of, I it, don't know. 
It is, actually. I mean, the way I write, if you look at my pieces at BCB or at Baseball HQ, they're very much like a little bit of analysis and piece of evidence that backs up that analysis, Mm -hmm. a conclusion about why that is the case, which is something I definitely learned from debate. And I also tend to think of things in like the context of how you write a debate case. I was actually just talking about this at my day job today, but like when I have a problem or a project that I need to look at and try to figure out how that's going to work, I try to think about what is the thing that is that we're working on and why is it a big deal to fix? Right. What is the way that we're going to fix it? Why will that work? And what is advantageous about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting to that point, I mean, obviously it comes in with your writing as you're describing, uh, like just the, the actual seed of everything that you're uh, focused on or you should be focused on. You know, there was, um, there's a whole design philosophy about that uh, when you're creating any sort of product. Uh, we were introduced to it from another uh, firm. It was um, when designing something, you look at, they gave us like a Nathan's hot dog stand, okay? And they had, if you looked at it, you saw like, okay, all the different types of sodas you could get. You could get chicken tenders with them. You can get fries with it. You can have the sandwich and you obviously can have hot dogs. And they asked, okay, what is the most important thing on here for Nathan's to be good at, right? And what's the answer to that, Sarah? I mean, I would assume hot dogs because it's Exactly, right? <laughs> and when you're d- designing something, don't think about all the extra frills. Uh, the first and most important thing you got to do, what is the hot dog, Right. And then from there, you say, okay, define the hot dog in three words, right? And once you understand that, it becomes an essence for, as you continue to expand what you're creating, how, you know, are you taking away from the hot dog um, or not? And it's, it sounds hilarious to say out loud, a lot like, what is the hot dog? You know, I feel like Batman, but um, it's, uh, it's actually a really good principle and it kind of sounds like that's what you're encouraging everybody when it comes to debate. I mean, at least that's, that was your skill set was finding the hot dog to the debate. No, this is true. And actually when you were saying that, I'm like, Oh, this explains so much about the name picture list. (laughs) (laughs) I, I am, I'm, I'm very much on like, I know how cute I can be with names and puns and stuff, but I realize on a branding standpoint, the first one was picture gifts. What did we have? Gifts of pictures. Right. That I'm like, oh, dang, can't do that anymore. I'm going to make a list of pictures every week. Okay, picture list. I also like those one syllable. So great. And also kept the branding of the previous thing that people still knew me at the time for Uh, being straightforward with it and be like, be really good at the one thing. And what is the hot dog of picture list? You got to know how to make a good list of pitches. Absolutely. And you got to have like you got to have like some themes that people look for your Toby's. Oh, yeah. Got to get the cherry bombs out of here. You know, no way. Ace is going <laughs> to ace. But right. But no. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does, does it not mean that like what Scott Chu does with the hitter list and Matt Heckman with the, the dynasty team and of course everything on that site. I mean, Rick Graham, obviously with the relievers, like we're more than just the Nathan Nathan's hot dog now, of course. Uh, but yeah, that is I don't know. I think uh, with every decision we make, just in general, just understand like the core of of what that is, and don't lose that. I think is really really important. Um, if you were to to give just one piece of advice for anybody when it comes to, I mean, I think is really cool about debate is that it teaches you skills that you take way outside of the competition, um, outside of the hot dog, which I've now named for you. I am so sorry. I. Uh, is there something else that you typically give everyone? It's like, this is 
really the major thing that you should be focusing on? Yeah, there's two things that I always think about in debate rounds. So Mm -hmm. the first is you should assume that your opponent's best argument is correct. You should you should not Mm. presume that they're wrong and dismissive about the things that they say. You should presume you should hold them at the best intentions of their argument and answer it as though it's true, whether you believe it or not. You should always listen to what the other person is saying and try to engage with the spirit of that thing. Rather, even if you disbelieve it, even if you think it's wrong, it is. It can only hurt you to undermine something that other people believe in. But if you actually like grapple with, well, what if that is true and how can I still win this argument? Yeah, then you'll win. Yeah. A way more successful strategy. And the second thing is I tend to think about most things because of that um, in even if scenarios. So when I look at what's going on in an argument, I try to think, well, even if that thing is true, you should still prefer my thing because. Right. And I always told my students and tried as a debater myself to if you were going to lose this round mm-hmm. prior to the last speech, what is, why is that? Like what happened in this debate round that's going to be really compelling to the other person and then make sure you answer that yeah. and then explain all your best stuff. Right. But right. first really grapple with the, the best argument against you. Yeah. That's oh, That's so, so good. My, um, yes, I remember, uh, Edward Martin, um, was my favorite English teacher growing up and, uh, he would, he also wrote textbooks because of course he did. Um, he was one of those guys that looked like the Orson Welles look and he had his vest and his pocket watch with chain in it. You know, I, uh, the way he would nod and like move back in his seat, like a big heavy nod up and down when someone would be making a point that he agreed with was just so endearing. And he was just such a sweet guy. And he would do exactly that. He would say the best way to prove a point is to argue the other person's side first. Um, and then once you've established all of that, you build in the other direction. You acknowledge and then add on. Um, I think that's great. I think that's really, really effective. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, get into the mind of the other person. How do I lose this? Then you defi- you deny that, right? Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's really good. Uh, you guys must uh, win all the time. I had some really smart kiddos that I got to work with. I was also super lucky that I worked in schools that still have really strong debate teams and classes and budgets. Um, The work I do now is more about making sure that every kid has access to a debate program. And so we work with 700 schools in 20 different cities and Mm -hmm. that we have leagues in all of those cities who make sure there are debate tournaments and make sure that kiddos get a chance to compete against each other. And it's such a cool activity because you Learn how to use your voice. Somebody listens to you and gives you feedback on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get to tweak things and like make your cases better over the course of a year. And I think most importantly, kiddos learn that somebody cares what they have to say. And that's just a game changer when you're like 14, 15 years old and nobody pays attention to you and you're going through teenage angst and everything. Like having adults and mentors who will listen to what you have to say and take it seriously and help you make it better over the course Mm -hmm. of multiple years is a it's a really transformative experience and so i I consider myself very lucky for what i get to do with my day job i also consider myself very lucky for what i get to do with my side gig like i i am a super privileged person in terms of the worlds that i get to inhabit both debate and baseball are like two of my favorite things on the planet 
Yeah, well, I mean, you combine it a lot, I imagine, too. Uh, it's, uh, I also really appreciate that, um, yeah, the way that you, you present arguments and everything it can be a debate, but it's also a discussion ultimately, right? Um, and uh, I, I've certainly heard a lot of people inside of sports media treats discussion of sports as an arena uh, where it's a boxing match and I have to be the victor. And that's really what drives it as opposed to the actual content of it. And then there's, that's not debating to me. That's uh, fighting. And uh, I very much appreciate that you understand the respect of the, of the debate itself and the, uh, because that's what's valuable. And as long as there's no venom attached to it, uh, it can be so rewarding on both sides of it. Um, I think yeah, I mean, one of the things, yeah. One of the things no, no, that I always did with my kiddos at tournaments, um, and I and to this day I do this with students that I'm not necessarily coaching individually, but that I get to work with, I never ask them if they won or lost a round. The question yeah. is always, how was it? How'd it go? Because I, I don't really care if you win or lose an individual round or argument. That's not what mm -hmm. debate is about. It's not about the number of wins and losses you have. Nobody goes undefeated in this activity or it's like yeah. all the smartest and like most engaged kids in the country trying to like battle of the wits against each other and stuff. Right? right. Like everybody loses some days, but you get a lot out of losses too. You get a lot out of wins and, and you can fix and tweak things based on the feedback that you got on how you respond to it. And mm -hmm. so it was always more important to me that kiddos left a debate round feeling like they got something out of that debate that they were going to take to the next round whether or not they won or lost a particular sure. argument. And I think that our whole society would probably be a little bit better if we cared more about listening to each other and really hearing each other and trying to engage with what we're hearing and the be and assuming the best of what we're hearing, right? Like yeah, right. assuming that the other person is coming at this from the best of intentions and really meaning to make the world better. And then it doesn't really matter if you won or lost that thing you gained from it. Yeah. yeah. One of my mantras is steps, not leaps. And that is about that. You cannot ask someone to take a leap. Uh, you have to take steps with them in order to achieve some sort of harmony between it, um, between the two of you. Um, yeah, there's a there's a reason why everybody believes what they believe. Uh, and while it's convenient for us to think of it as just spite and personal attack, it's so very rare for that to actually be truth. So uh, once you get to the core of it, um, I think the only frustrating times is when there's no discussion. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to understand it and you know there is none and you got nothing. And it's like, I get it. It's also when it comes to personal opinions, it's very, uh, it's identity. It's an attachment to identity a lot. And emotionally, it's very difficult to separate a belief from your own self uh, because you become attached. It's not just a truth or a, a, a falsehood. It's you. Um, and it's a, you know, it attaches with shame and uh, um, getting humiliated and everything like that. And it's uh, very disruptive. So understand that that's going on a lot too. Uh, and trying to be as sympathetic as possible. And you'd be surprised how many times you can have something. It feels like it's the worst thing ever. And then you return to it later and it's a different emotion. Um, and how you end those things is so much, is, is almost as important as how you start it or even go through it. 
Um, if you allow and open the door for it to be molded over time after the emotions have faded. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Um, we're going to not talk about that after this break. We're instead <laughs> going to talk about Sarah's uh, career, of course, uh, writing in this field and just a couple other fun things. Uh, so stay tuned after this break. Good old advertisements, huh, Sarah? Oh, yeah. Gotta, gotta do it. Gotta, <laughs> gotta get those factor ads in here. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the capitalist way. I, I was about to go all Aristotle on your baseball podcast, too, so we should Oh, let's go. Aristotle. All right. <laughs> let's go. Well, because Aristotle was like, there are three parts to rhetoric and an argument, right? Like, you yeah. have... Logos, which is like your logic and reasoning, and you have ethos, which is your credibility and how yeah. well established you are to make that point. And then you have pathos, which is like how your feelings. It's like your emotion and your passion that you put behind the thing. And if you think Love about it. it, like in all fields, that's true, right? Like yes. whenever you're trying to make a point and establish what you're doing, all of those are equally important. It can't be right. all quantity logic. It can't be all identity and emotion. It has to be a mix of the three. Yeah. Could not agree more. Um, and so mixing things up, we're going to go from you, of course, having this fantastic full-time gig to what was your first article and how did you jump into the baseball field? Well, so my first article were those ones about my well, brother's the high school, little league team. But, back right. In the day, but I mean, but on the internet sphere. Yeah. So in, I'm, I'm going to start a few years before my first article. Okay. Um, in 2011, I think it was, the Cubs played at Fenway Park for the first time since the 1918 World Series. Oh, wow. And I wound up at all three of those games, two of them because family members gifted me tickets to them. And one of them because I just decided I was going to go down there for the Bleed Cubby Blue meetup anyway. I had been a mm-hmm. long time like reader and commenter on the site. For anyone nice. who knows the SB Nation blogs and communities, you know that we do like game threads and stuff. And like everybody knows each other as their yeah. like little pseudonym or whatever. And so there was a BCB meetup outside of Fenway. Uh, I went down there. That's where I met my now editor, Al Yellen. Um, Crane Kenny and Tom Ricketts came and hung out with us. And Crane Kenny had an extra beer and asked if anyone want one. And he gave it to me. And so I was like, I like to joke that Crane Kenny bought me a Hefeweizen one time. Um, <laughs> but the met a few of the Cubs re- readers there, had a great time. It was the only game the Cubs won, so I was really grateful that I bought myself that ticket that day. And a few years later, I found myself in Chicago, and I would go hang out in the bleachers at Wrigley. And Al was always super generous about like, hey, come sit with us, et cetera, et cetera. In 2016, when the greatest Cubs team of my lifetime was doing their thing. I've uh, never heard were, of this. Yeah, what it, was, it, was pretty, it was pretty rad. <laughs> I mean, I kind of forget every team that Araldis Chapman has ever been on. So I, That's reasonable and relevant because when the rumors came out about the Araldis Chapman signing, Al reached out to me as one of the people who had been really outspoken about that in the comments mm-hmm. and asked if I wanted to write anything about my feelings about Araldis Chapman being on the Cubs. And I did, but I was too late responding to his message. And so I kind of wrote a thing that never went anywhere. Sure. But what that parlayed into was on the night that the Cubs won the NLCS. I was actually, I did not have a ticket to that game. I was hanging out at a bar across the street with some friends. And after they won, we all like flooded the streets around Wrigleyville. I heard that the Dodgers bus didn't get out that night until 4 a.m. That's how packed the streets around Wrigley Field were. So they had to watch the celebration all night long because that's oh, how many people wow. had crowded around the field. Yeah. But one of the very interesting things that happened that night, um, some guys had brought chalk 
that they had bought just on Amazon, like a ton of chalk. Yeah. And they started writing on the bleacher walls, on the brick walls outside of Wrigley, just little mm-hmm. tributes to people who had never seen the Cubs win a World oh Series. Oh, gosh. Harry Carey and Ron Santo and Ernie wow. Banks and people who lived their entire lives without seeing the yeah, Cubs yeah. ever win at all. And their grandparents and their fathers and their uncles. And they left the chalk there so that other people could write on the wall, too. That's and so, so great. when I came out, people were just starting to write on the wall. I was taking pictures of it. I wrote a little note to the BCB community and like put a heart next to it. Mm-hmm. And... I wrote out the next day. I was like, hey, I have these pictures from the chalk wall just going up. If you want them for a story, they're yours. And he said, actually, just write the story. And if, if it's good, oh, I'll man. publish it. There you go. And so I did. And that was my first piece at Bleed Cubby Blue. Uh, it's published under his name and it references my old pseudonym in it. But that was my first piece there. Mm-hmm. About a week and a half later, I wrote a piece about the cover fees that they were charging for World Series away games at bars in Wrigleyville because it was it cost you 250 to get into some of the bars in Wrigleyville just to watch a game that was on TV what I'm not even joking and well they got away with it right you know good old capitalism let's go supply and demand they got away with it for a ton of reasons one like everybody wanted to be close to Wrigley Field when it happened of course and people were just like they were they were just crazy yeah. about that team like right. you could charge three hundred dollars cover to get into a dive bar i mean the eyes of chris Bryan could have convinced me to do anything i understand <laughs> they convinced cubs fans to do some crazy stuff so i wrote about that too and after the world series was over al asked me if i wanted to be a contributor at bcb and so i started writing there um in december officially in december of 2016 and awesome. i've written there ever since Wonderful. And uh, those other opportunities, I mean, on your resume, uh, how do those come to be? Yeah, so all different. Um, Mm -hmm. Baseball Prospectus, uh, when they were transitioning short relief over to a new editor, I got some outreach from that editor and he asked me if I wanted to write for them and I did for a hot minute. It was fun, man. My writing for short relief was some of my favorite writing I've ever done. Is that right? Well, yeah, because short relief is, I don't know if you remember it, but it was very prosy and it was short, mm-hmm. it, it, like short relief, um, 300 to 400 words. And you're telling a story about baseball rather than making an argument about baseball. Right. Yeah. And so I just got to write about all sorts of things that I would never have written about before. Sure. Um, I think my favorite piece that I wrote for short relief was, was watching the Nationals in 2019 and Annabelle Sanchez was pitching and that's my last name like uh and I heard it pronounced like seven different ways on this broadcast by the broadcast Mm -hmm. team because people would do that Sanchez 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 like they just like they don't know where to punch it and they don't know what's right and it's funny to not funny not funny haha but like funny ironic to me because I don't know where to punch it either like my family dropped the accent mark Good. I was just thinking ago. to myself, how did I introduce you? Did I do it wrong or not? You yeah. probably didn't because I call my, <laughs> I will almost always refer to myself as Sarah Sanchez. But if okay. I'm in a room full of Latinos, they say Sarah Sanchez and that's correct. Mm-hmm. Like that's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it was just a piece about what, how, what's in a name and how you pronounce it and what it means when you're trying really hard and how difficult yeah. accent marks can be <laughs> yeah, in this right, world. Right. Um, I wrote another piece there about how I felt the day Addison Russell came back from his suspension. And that was a really powerful piece for me. That was a name I completely forgot about. And I was kind of happy to not remember uh, for a moment, you know? (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. That was the, uh, the Smarsja deal, wasn't it? 
Yeah. Um, uh, right? Sent over to I athletics think, and Addison Russell came over? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. God, I'm so happy you didn't remember him. Okay. Yeah, that must have been a tough one to write. It was it wasn't easy. I had written about I had covered the entire Addison Russell situation for Bleed Cubby Blue from start to mm-hmm. finish. It's the hardest bit of writing I've ever done. And I read every piece his wife, his ex-wife wrote. Um, oh, wow. I read every word that she put pen to paper on. And I heard every press conference that Theo gave and that Joe Madden gave. And that was a really difficult thing to cover. But it, I grew a lot as a reporter and a writer from that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so tell me about Fangraphs. Sure. So I applied to write at Fangraphs in, and this actually, I do want to, I would, I want to flag for a second because like that was my period. I had never pitched anything. I had never tried to like oh, write yeah. somewhere. I yeah. want, there's such a big difference between like putting yourself out there to be told no. Yeah, sure. And like getting opportunities. And I, I wanted to challenge myself and see if I could write for this amazing place that I mm-hmm. respect so much. It's honestly still my first go-to for everything. And so Excuse I me. put to- uh, I'm just <laughs> Pitch- Pitcher list is my first place for pitchers. <laughs> Fangrass um, is the OG. I am just messing with you, it's the Sarah. OG. It's your OG too. <laughs> Please continue. I'm just having a laugh. I... I will say our player pages are, they're different. If you're going for different things, we we have, there's no place that's better to look up a picture than a picture list. Fair uh, but please continue. Um, yeah, so I applied to write there and I honestly, their process takes a while. So I was like sure that I just wasn't going to hear anything. And I was okay with that. I was just really proud of myself for applying. Yeah. And I got an interview and I got the gig and I immediately felt like an imposter <laughs> oh yeah oh of course oh my gosh i i mean i did the same i was the same thing i remember being in their slack chain and be like i'm not supposed to see any of this i <laughs> uh, that like was like dan zabrowski saying like right? crazy brilliant stuff when, and jeff zimmerman when, is the best and i'm like oh I, man I, I am also yeah. here <laughs> i remember seeing um i i i was there uh the end of well it was like august 2017 through the end of 2019 I remember when COVID hit, I essentially went to Spore. I was like, Spore, make sure you take me off the thing. Because like I know they're they're laying off people and you can lay off me. Like I want someone else to have this job, you know. Um, and I yeah, being in that Slack channel and like seeing Dave Cameron and you know talking, I'm like, what? To Jeff Sullivan, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this world? I uh, I remember jumping into a auto new league because they had an opening. And they're like, hey, who wants to do an auto league? And it's like Carson Sistoli saying this. And like Eno was in it and Alex Chamberlain was in it. David Appleman was in it. Like all the, everyone was in this league. I was like, I'll take Mike Exisa's former team. Like this is my life now, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, when when did you jump in with them? When was that? Uh, 2021. Okay. And I wrote for mo- like the 2021 season, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. I also, it was, it was a good lesson in a bunch of things. I, I wrote a bunch of pieces I'm very proud of from there. I got to write about the Cubs combo no-hitter. The no-hitter that Wilson Contreras caught, by the way. Um, oh, man. I got to write about uh, Kyle Schwarber going on an epic home run tear sure. during that period. Um, yep. And I, maybe my favorite thing, and this is going to sound weird, but I covered the trade deadline with them. And, mm-hmm. I you know, I'm a newbie. So one of the things that Fangraphs does that's really great is that they – 
cover every deal. So right. it's not just the big deals. They cover every single deal. Yep. And so I was, I was writing up the little guys, right? Like I was mm-hmm. writing up like, um, oh, all of those Braves outfielder trades, like the Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, like, because the Braves at that time, if you remember, they had yeah. just lost Ronald Acuna Jr. And right. every and other outfielder they had was like yeah. negative war. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like writing up these platoon deals and just kind of like doing the thing. But that was also the day, like the days, the two days ish that Jed Hoyer traded the entire 2016 Cubs core. And it was just the weirdest thing to be in like truly heartbroken state. Like Anthony Rizzo is a Yankee. What? Like that was a devastating Could you imagine him anywhere else but Yankee Stadium? If he's yes, not a cub, Wrigley Field. If he's not a if he's not a Cub, it's like the <laughs> next step is so clearly a Yankee, though, right? Oh God, they should never have done that, though. I, <laughs> there is an alternate universe where the Cubs keep Rizzo in that deal yeah. and maybe one other guy, and Anthony Rizzo has a statue outside Wrigley Field. Yeah, right. Time. And doesn't get concussed and play for an extra month when he should. Exactly. You know? he, he was on he was on pace to hit thirty home runs last year and like was. In three hundred, yeah, when Fernando still a Tatis very good him. player, it's uh, it just it just feels like I don't know. Anthony Rizzo is such a, like a Brooklyn guy. Like, he's such a dude. He's actually a Florida guy. Um, I know, but he's yeah, but it's Anthony Rizzo. You know, it's like it's <laughs> it. He was already there for us. You know, um, like I couldn't imagine him. Yeah, I couldn't imagine him being a Miami Marlin. That's just no, like no. What no, are you no, doing no. here? Get out of here stop that <laughs> no i mean i could imagine him as a red sock he was a red sock once upon yeah time. well right right sure and wasn't he uh, a padre he was for a hot minute jen yeah. Hoyer traded for anthony rizzo right. to get him to the padres drew pomerantz deal yep the, is that right i think so yeah oh gosh i don't know and then like Rizzo, the- and then the second Theo and Jed were in Chicago, they traded for Anthony Rizzo, and that was the Andrew Kashner deal. Ah, the Andrew Kashner deal, man. I remember that guy won, like, someone's playoffs. Like, one September, he was insanely good, and then there was a game he had, like, five innings, like, eight runs and ten strikeouts. And we're like, what is this? Um, And I would, I actually made up a term called cashed out, because, like... <laughs> He had like three good starts and then that was it. And like, I hope you guys can cash out, you know, I uh, because that's what after the end of the run, it's like essentially Vargas room. Um, but I, uh, oh man. So, okay. So, so that was 2000, uh, that was 21. Uh, yeah. I'm like cover. I'm like, the only thing that gets me through blue Friday is the fact that I have to write up like all these little blue Friday. Like <laughs> that's what we call it in Chicago. We call oh, it. Oh my God. The day that they traded away the core. All of them. Every single one of them. Wow. They only, I mean, Wilson Contreras only survived because he had two years left on his deal. Um, Kyle Hendricks had an extension. What? Who'd you get back? Oh, that's that's a sad tale. Um, I know. So and I'm really sorry Chris because Bryant, I'm realizing I don't know anything about yeah, it. Like, Wait, well, I no, should. Because, because they have not made it to the majors right. for the most part, which is a really great lesson in prospects not being promises. Yeah. Prospects are lottery tickets and right. people treat them like promises sometimes and they are not. Um, yeah. Chris Bryant netted Caleb Killian and... Oh, Caleb Killian. Okay. Yeah. Somebody I am blanking on. Um, but Caleb Killian has not proven to be that no, dude um, at not, all. No, sadly. Um, Anthony Rizzo netted Alexander Canario. 
And somebody I'm blanking on who wound up like basically absconding from the team. He just like didn't show up to minor league camp. And the, oh, after okay. six months, the Cubs just like kind of let him go. So that was great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, Javi Baez that had Pete Crow Armstrong. And that, I, I still don't know. I don't know how, how that happened. He I, was like injured. the Mets. No, no, no. But the, the Mets, why? No, no, no. Why were you dealing for Baez? I, oh, and Pete Crow Armstrong. Like, yeah, it was a terrible decision on the Mets. Part. Oh, man. And that's uh, that's I mean, it fits that he's a cub. We all know, of course, rookie of the year. Uh, the mom, I think, is that or is that? Wait, hold on, not is it rookie of the year, mom? No, it's little it, big league mom. Little big league. Little big league. That is, by the way, I think the best baseball movie. Like outside of like sugar, like drama and like actual good emotion, for just being like a fun baseball movie, it's little big league. It's a league of their own. Well, no, that's okay. That's yes. I, that phenomenal movie. That's more serious to me. That's like more of like. That's a real baseball movie. Right. But that's like a real movie. I mean, I'm talking about they got like Major League. You got, you got like, um, I'm even going to throw Bull Durham in there. The Sand, um, I like the Sandlot. Sandlot. Uh, uh, Angels in the Outfield. All uh, Rookie good. of the Year. Little Big League's the winner. It's not of even those, close to of me. that crew. Maybe I, I I would put the Sandlot ahead of Little Big League, but for the rest, you're right. You want to know why? Because Probably they're right. the only one that got baseball right. They got it truly right. The baseball shown in that movie is legit. the The rules and everything, the actual what is tension, what isn't, is so correct. All the little things in that movie is so right. It's not Hollywood's interpretation. It is like legitimate baseball. Even like the opening scene is him correcting who's out at third base. And I still struggle with this of like two guys in the same base. Who do you tag? Who has the right of way? All that stuff. Oh, so good. Sorry. You are correct about all of that. And also the Sandlot takes like the fanciful angle on baseball. Cause you have like the kids on the Sandlot who like literally don't have uniforms. And you've got like the right. little leaguers who have like the bikes and the uniforms and the Sandlot kids destroy them. Like obviously you can't play a night game just based on fireworks and like, Wendy Pfeffercorn was never going home with squints. Like that was like not. I mean, kind of messed up that scene. You know, it was the nineties. <laughs> I guess a little messed up. But uh, okay. Um, I mean, I wonder how many kids jumped into pools after that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, look, I get it. I trust me. I, I, there's a place in my heart for s'mores in uh, in tree houses now, right? But I, uh, little big league is like. As Griffey as the villain, not some random guy spitting on the Yankees. It's Griffey. That's problematic. Okay? <laughs> no, it's like Griffey's the good guy. No, 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 no. I know, but it's like he's the villain because we all respect him so much. You know, like he's so obviously the best. He's not some like big barreled guy with a mustache and has a Yankee pun stripes on. Yeah. No, it's Griffey. Like, oh, dang. You're in trouble because, like, Griffey's the best, you know? That's like it's saying so Shohei Otani's the villain. Yes. He's never you, the villain. I can actually, he, he I can actually imagine that. I if, can't. like, you're going up against Shohei, he is the villain. He was the villain for the U.S. in the WBC, okay? He was. I think I was cheering for Shohei in that moment. I know. I kind of was, too. It was so fun. I mean, <laughs> I'm also, that was the greatest at bat ever. And it was so wonderful. What's so what's very interesting is actually I remember I rewatched that a bit like literally a week ago. Um, every pitch is kind of like by the book. 
of like what he's throwing and the based on what Trout is doing. The most interesting one, I think it's a 2-1 pitch, is it's a 100 like right down the pipe or something. Or 1-0 right down the pipe and it's just, oh no, you're 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 done, Trout. <laughs> oh man, it was so good. He threw 102 into that at bat. It was a perfect 3-2 slider. Oh. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in sports. It really was. Any sport, any level, any competition, and... The thing I loved about it more than anything is you had Shohei Otani running like back and forth to like throw warm up pitches oh, yeah, like right? a little leaguer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I had a warm up. Okay, now I'm going to come back. I had to go yeah, warm right. up again. This I was is like, why what he can is never this? be a closer, by the way, because they're not going to actually do that in the regular season. <laughs> Somebody should. Somebody should let him do that in the World Series. I would pay money to like, see him do that in the World Series. If he's up third or something, like they're not going to like, how are they going to have him warm up to close? And he's well, on base. He He has to warm up when he's not on base. But then what if he's like leadoff and then he's on base the entire inning? Well, I know. It's, it's it's risky. That's why Shohei comes with risk. Wow. But it's worth it. Uh, yeah. He should do that with uh, <laughs> when he needs to get Tommy John. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, okay, wait. Hold on. We're going a little bit long in this. And I realize this is all my fault it's completely. Okay. I just I'm sidetracked good. us with a little big league. But let me tell you, it is the best one, Sarah. It is the best. Anyway. Uh, you're doing fan graphs and then, uh, what else? I think you, you mentioned in there, uh, CBS, correct? Or was it, um, I, I'm forgetting one more. Oh, um, baseball HQ. Baseball HQ. There you go. Okay. Yeah, no. So I, I wrote for fan graphs for most of 2021 and honestly, it was a really good lesson in me trying to do too much. So I was mm-hmm. writing for bleed cubby blue still, and I was also writing for fan graphs and I was also working my full-time job and it was a lot. I was um, kind of burning the candle at both ends and I sort of felt like I wasn't able to do the work that I wanted to do. And I was, I was super Mm -hmm. stressed out about the whole thing. So I took a step back from fan graphs and I don't regret it. Um, It was an amazing experience. I became a much better writer in the time that I worked there and I learned a lot about the sport and I got to meet some amazing people who I'm still friends with. And that was really cool. And I would love to write for them again someday at some point in time when I know I have the time to give it the time and energy that it deserves. Um, But so interestingly, like that off season, um, Brent Hershey from baseball HQ had reached out to me to ask if I wanted to do anything with them. And I turned him down. I was like, you know, I just figured out that doing the fan graphs thing was a bit too much. And I want to take a year where all I do is get my day job in order and like, do the BCB stuff and figure out what my capacity is so that I don't burn myself out again. (laughs) And Brent was super understanding about that. And I went to first pitch Arizona for the first time in 2022, which is where I met you. Yeah. I'm so glad you did. Yeah. Game six of the world series together, which was an amazing experience. Uh, You'll never forget. They pulled Wheeler (laughs) too early. (laughs) I don't under. I don't get it. I'm still angry about it. Me too. But at least Dusty got a ring. Kyle Schwarber did hit a home run in that game right at the same time that Notre Dame scored a touchdown on a different <laughs> screen. And I definitely had a peak Sarah sports moment at that moment. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you cared about Notre Dame. Uh, only a little bit. Okay. All right. Michigan uh, for me. My sister went there. Well, that's unfortunate. We can <laughs> still be friends. <laughs> I mean, who's the better theme? I don't know. Okay, I don't. I'm so sorry. It's the most I'll ever mention football. I apologize completely. 
Um, but yeah, it's right. So and then you came to uh, first pitch Arizona in 22. You were again back here or back there and uh, this year too. It was great. Yeah. And so in 2022, after first pitch Arizona and in the off season, um, Brent reached out again and said, Hey, wanted to follow up on this. I'd still love you to write for baseball HQ. And so I took over the playing time tomorrow column for the NL East. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Honestly, I have not had a ton of opportunities outside of fan and baseball prospectus to really dig in on the quantitative side of a division or a team that is not the Cubs. And so it was fun to look into some different angles and to become an expert on some teams and farm systems that I hadn't spent a ton of time with. Mm-hmm. Um, got to know those games and announcers a lot better. Cause I, you know, I'd like watch the Phillies or watch the Braves with the home team uh, going on there. And, and that was neat right. and amazing. And it was, it was cool to dive in and do a deep dive on a division that wasn't the NL central. Right. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so I will be back uh, at baseball HQ next year doing that again. And um, this year got, when I went back to first pitch Arizona, uh, I did the rookie draft, which was, Truly a wild experience, yeah. uh, really fun. But I, so I, I made the leap to presenting it for FPAS, and that was fun and cool. And we'll see how that goes because I am not a prospect expert. <laughs> I remember you talking to me afterwards. Uh, by the way, I stole my, I don't know if you did this yourself. I stole my, uh, the thing that they make for us, our names on it. Um, it has like, hey, Nick Pollock, uh, first pitch Arizona. Uh, I love it so much. I want to maybe, you know, no, I no offense to to baseball HQ and Brent. I want to put a pitcherless sticker over it <laughs> and be like, "This is Nick Pollock, a pitcherless." Um, but uh, no, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. I highly recommend stealing yours next year. Uh, it's really I did not steal that. my placard, yeah. but I kept my badge because oh, yeah. my no, badge. I, I have Scott Chu's badge for like two years now. I have Alex Fast's badge. Like they just leave them. I'm like, all right, I guess I have these. <laughs> Well, so the badge, my first badge was like my, you know, you have the first year sticker and all that jazz. But this year, my badge had the Baseball HQ logo on it. And I thought oh, that was cool. Rad. I really, I messed up, Sarah. I should have brought my Alex Fast one and worn that the entire time. <laughs> uh, I will do that next year. I will. I cannot wait for that. Just to walk around with Alex Fast and like. I'm holding you accountable to that. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Oh, man. Um. But uh, we're running out of time here. There are two things I wanted to ask you. And one is one I really enjoy hearing uh, from a lot of people is I kind of want to hear what your goals are. Um, do you feel that uh, you're kind of like, hey, this is awesome. This is exactly what I've been looking to do. I'm fulfilled with it. And that's fantastic. Are there other things that you're uh, that are on your mind that you're kind of like, oh, man, I'm looking myself in a couple years or five years, 10 years that you really want to uh, reach for? Oh, that's such a good question. Um So one of the things that is challenging about my life is that I have two jobs and I am very passionate and love both of them. Of course. And so oftentimes if I'm like pouring myself into one, it's harder to like pour myself into the other. And they always, there's cross pressures, right? With time and when am I going to podcast or when am I going to write? And which do I want to do more of? Uh, I'm also trying to figure out at the moment, this is not an answer to your question because I haven't figured it out yet. I love podcasting. I like talking and I like telling stories and I like talking through things with people. And so I have a fantasy baseball podcast that you were on called What the Fab um, that is mostly about process and thinking through the decisions that we make each week with fantasy baseball and thinking through draft decisions and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I I get a lot out of those conversations because it's amazing to talk to the smartest people in this industry and really just see why, why they made the decisions. Uh, 
Yes. Okay. You are one of the smartest people in this industry. No, Everybody stop. listening knows that. Nope. It's true. Mm-mm, not true. Continue. It's very, very true. Uh, hearing about why they make the decisions they make and how they come to their conclusions and why they share the things that they do. Um, but I also recognize that my writing does better in terms of numbers and metrics and all that jazz than my podcasting. And so I'm not sure well, it's, which well, of those I'm going to lean into. That's a different animal, though. Um, I mean, I imagine I, you know, it, it, it's podcast listens and everything. It's, uh, I'll put it this way. Like I, with Bleed Club, I mean, I assume you're referencing to, to Bleed uh, Cubby Blue. Um, well, that's also, it. part of it is absolutely you doing your thing. There's also been, that's been going on for like 20 years, that place or, or longer. Right. Um, and it's really difficult when it comes to podcasts to actually get to an inflection point of it um, where they've, you know, you add so much to that and that brings it up there with a podcast. It's kind of like, okay, how do we kind of start for a new almost, right. Especially in a place that is, it's weird when it comes to um, articles, it's easier to get quick eyes. Um, so much more so. I mean, the the impressions and page views of an article are so much easier to consume in, in and out. Uh, you're lucky if you get like time on site above two and a half minutes or something, right? For a podcast, like only listen to two and a half minutes of my podcast. Are you serious? Uh, <laughs> right? And it's such an investment, I think, more so to jump into that. Um, it's also so much more saturated nowadays than it used to be. And how you know, you discover podcasts is so difficult uh, and uh, it's not an easy thing to jump into. So do not uh, think less of yourself or anything for that. If it, that that's the evening, the, the, the process of it, it's more about the medium itself and what leads to that success. Um, yeah, it's not at all. Don't need it. I don't I, I like hearing this negativity about you. Uh, it's not not true. Not what it is. Oh, you're wonderful. I, I wasn't I didn't mean it to sound negative. It's more just a if I have sparse time, what am I going to spend? Yeah. That well, time what on? you enjoy is podcasting, right? I enjoy both of them, um, but yeah. I like the podcasting slightly more. Right. I don't know. It depends on the day and it depends on what I'm working on. I've written some pieces I truly adore. Sometimes mm-hmm. like the writing just flows and sure. it's amazing. Uh, I do love having conversations with people and picking their brains and learning more about them and learning more about why they make the fantasy baseball decisions they do or why I also host a co-host a Cubs podcast that comes out weekly in the off season and every series during the season. And I love breaking down the Cubs. So yeah, yeah, that was, that's fun actually. So I do have to, you know, to hearken back to earlier in the conversation when Len Casper left for the White Sox the Cubs yeah. needed to hire a new play-by-play announcer. There were like three or four of my Twitter followers who DM'd mm-hmm. me and or added me with, Sarah should get this job. Yeah, there we go. And no, I should not, because I've never done any <laughs> play-by-play outside of a high school or American Legion game ever. Mm-hmm. And also, it was pretty, pretty cool to have people actually well, come at me with that. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, so a couple things about this. One, I... If, if you guys listening don't know that uh, I do my live streaming on playback.tv slash pitcherless now, and one of the cool things about it is that it does live games. Um, you can actually broadcast your own live game now with it. Uh, and we did it in the end of last year, all the Cole Reagan streams. That was me live broadcasting every Cole Reagan's game, which is like the most fun thing ever. Um, and Sarah, I got to get you on for a Cubs game. I will not do any color. I will do play by play. 
uh, if you want to take the color for a Cubs game. Um, that sounds super awesome. Uh, we'll make sure that happens in season. Uh, I would love it to do that. sounds like a That'd fun time. We'll find a night. We'll make it work. Um, second thing, I actually want to ask about um, when it comes to podcasting, how often do you podcast and how often do you write? Well, that's another great question. And it's a little dependent on my work schedule. I've been taking a few weeks off here in the off season, just trying to scope out what oh, yeah, I'm going to do should, and though, what things too. are going to look like yeah. and all of that jazz. Um, but generally... Cubs podcast in the off season comes out weekly ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to do a, an episode during Thanksgiving week. We probably won't do one during Christmas right. week, but like yeah. weekly ish. Um, I'm hoping to pick up what the fab again, starting with these gladiator drafts actually. So mm. I yeah. view th- the Thanksgiving break as my jump back into drafts with the gladiator season. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to do three or four of those this year. And, I will probably find some people who are also doing them, talk through draft strategy and what they're thinking, um, have some ideas for other guests I want to have on. Some of the people I play with in Glarf and Tout Wars are some of the smartest players in the industry and finding out how they prepare for the season and why they do the things that they do. Even if a bunch of people don't listen, but you should listen because they're great conversations, (laughs) makes me a better player. Like it makes me think about things differently and consider things differently. And so I get a lot out of it, even if, I don't get a ton of listens. No, well, no, I'm well, I I'm trying it. to, uh, what I'm trying to get at is I imagine in season, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you are putting out more articles than you are podcasting. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. So if you think of it like that, um, you know, when, when it comes to podcasts, the most successful thing that we did, uh, we had on the corner. It was really weird, by the way, me doing a podcast, like especially me back then too, did not like public speaking. Uh, and, uh, podcasting certainly helped me with that, um, over the years, but, um, yeah, we, we did fine. We actually did better than we expected, I guess, uh, for starting one in 2016, but it was a weekly thing and it wasn't really getting too much traction. And it wasn't really until we started doing the first pitch podcast, which is every day. Then all of a sudden we started to get more growth. Um, and there's something to be said about that. Uh, you know, I've seen this all the time of, People who start literally within the year have success by the fall because they huh. do it every day because it's a, it's a consistent thing that everyone just gets used to in routine and there's just more and more opportunity to do it. Um, in writing, you do that a lot, essentially, and that's no surprise to me that you get recognized for that. Um, when it comes to a podcast, uh, there are, I mean, we do, I mean, in season, we do up to like four across our network and there's just a consistent thing going and we only do one a day only one a day in the off season often, but, uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's actually going to be two now because of the plus pitch stuff that's coming out, which is fun. I can't wait. Let's go over every rotation. Let's do it. Nice. Um, but, uh, but no, but the point is when you think of it like that regularity, uh, we are creatures of habit. Everybody is right. And once you get is every single day is a new opportunity to find someone new. Um, and if you give it that, yourself an opportunity once a week or if you give it to yourself once a day that's seven times a chance right um if you think of it like that uh you'd be surprised i mean yeah you kind of get what you put out in that way um but i yeah that's what you want to do awesome i think you're certainly capable of it uh like is there a single cubs podcast that like reviews the team every day no i don't think so why wouldn't that be the most popular cubs podcast so it's a good point i mean uh 
Well, let me, I, I've, I've got some people that I can talk to about this. Right. We'll see what happens. Um, but that's, 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 I think the kind of thing that I, I don't know, make it with everything in this world. It's all about specialization for the people that want one thing. They want just that one thing and they want it regularly. Uh, and I do the roundup every night. Everyone knows I do that stupid article every night, Love but like article. it's every day. And that's the only reason why like, oh yeah, right. He's that guy. Cause he does this every night. Um, so stuff to think about there. I, uh, I will always, we don't talk about the business enough, Sarah. It's insane to me. I, uh, it's, oh, it's kind of the reason why I want to start this podcast too, is because we don't, yeah, we can help. Everyone can help each other out in so many ways. Um, and there's nowhere to like talk about this stuff. No, it's a great point. And I appreciate I appreciate you sharing your knowledge there. I hadn't really thought that more is more might be the answer there. It's not always about um, quantity. It's about regularity. Fair. Um, and once you're above a bar, I think like uh, if you do, if you're doing quantity without any sort of inventory of what the quality is and trying to constantly be better, but like. Um, I took a while until I realized, okay, cool. I'm going to get a better microphone. I'm going to invest in that. And I'm going to use audacity to make my voice better and follow this chain to ensure that we have that audio quality and so on and so forth. And I'm still terrible at my ums and my cadences and everything like that. And I interrupt too much and I'm still trying to be better at this than I am. I, but it's, you know, recognize like, okay, listen to it back sometimes, even though we all hate our voice. I hate mine. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, practice is not good practice. Good practice is good practice. Thank you, Coach Varney from Brandeis. With one more question for you, sir, because oh my gosh, we're going so long, but it went by so fast. Uh, I asked everybody this. What is your mantra, Sarah Sanchez? Okay, so this actually comes from my running days, and I little tiny prelude. Even though we're going a bit long, I um I hated running as a kid yeah, because I was always terrible. the kid who the fastest <laughs> I could ever run a mile was like nine or ten minutes, and that's mm-hmm. not fast. But it's they also like make you do it with the whole class, and then it's embarrassing oh, to be the kid yeah, that, that finishes in ten minutes rather than the yeah, kid that right. finishes in six. And so I thought I was not a runner. I was mm-hmm. very much not a runner for most of my life. In twenty twelve. I started running and I realized that I was really good at piecing those 10 minute miles together for a long time. Sure. So I could run like 10 minute miles for 10 miles. I could run 10 minute yeah. miles for 13 miles and I ran 14 half marathons. Oh, it's so awesome. And yeah, in 2017, I ran the Chicago marathon and Congrats. through those half marathons and the Chicago marathon. And by the way, the Chicago marathon was much slower than 10 minutes a mile because a marathon is way harder than a yeah. half marathon. Yeah. Um, but I, would I would the thing I would repeat to myself was badassery and I was just like be a badass on this run <laughs> uh, I think you just told you told me I wasn't supposed to swear to no and I was, but I, I I'll leave it. it I'll leave it for you because it's your mantra I'm so sorry you can bleep my mantra if you know I, I just realized I that my mantra it, has Sarah. a swear word in it you know for those that got through all this podcast you deserve this Okay. I'm so sorry, Nick. <laughs> so yeah, just be that essentially. If you, if whenever you're going through things, be that kind of person. Is that, that's what the mantra is. I want to make sure I got it right. Yeah, that's it. Okay. I like it. I think that's good. Um, do things the right way and the best way. And in such a dope way like that. 
it's more just a general <laughs> reminder that I can do really hard things and yeah. that sometimes doing hard things isn't about showing off or being first. It's very middle of the pack and just like doing your thing over and over again as well as you possibly can. Yeah. Uh, comparison is a thief of joy. Uh, so I think that that's awesome. Do what you do as well as you can. And that's the best we can all do. Uh, good stuff. I, uh, Sarah Sanchez is here and Sarah Sanchez, unfortunately needs to go. So before you do, please, please tell us again, all the things that you do and where we can find you. Yeah, you can find my Cubs writing at bleedcubbyblue.com. Uh, you can find my fantasy baseball takes on the NL East at Baseball HQ in the season. You can find my uh, podcasts at the Bleacher Bunch Network and at Fans First Sports Network Fantasy, which is the What the Fab Show. Awesome. Uh, all right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I, my name is Nick Pollock, and that was my friend, Sarah Sanchez. <laughs>